Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, we are doing a group podcast again with our Righteous Remnant staff. And our topic this week is the Contend America Conference. Many of us went this past week in Colorado Springs. And um, this is something that, this is probably my fourth um, Contend America Conference. And I have, um, I've really loved this conference and I always encourage people to go. I always spoke of it, I that it's like a baptism into revival theology and a heart for the nation. That's kind of how I think about Contend America. It is uh, usually like a four-day conference out in Colorado Springs, and it's not like any other conference. Most conferences are, you go to get blessed, right? You go, they, you know, minister to you, and um, the Contend Conference has always had a different focus, and the idea is that we are going to gather people and we are going to contend in intercessory prayer for the nation. And so every year, there's been a lot of fasting. You know, they used to mandate a, a juice fast, which is hard for lots of people. And then you're praying for hours every single day. So I would always warn our groups, you know, this is not going to be like most conferences that you've been to. It's not about you. We're going to serve the nation. But, you know, I, I always tells people that, you know, when you set your heart on serving God and fulfilling his desires, he blesses you. That's always how it works in my experience. And sure enough, um, most people that go to this conference end up getting really blessed. And so um, we wanted to have a group podcast um, to talk about it because a lot of the things that they talk about at the Content Conference are not things that you're going to hear at other conferences also. In fact, I think they're one of the, the few places where they're actually talking about very relevant stuff that is dear to us, you know, as a righteous remnant community, and they're doing it from a biblical perspective and um, from a real position of faith. And so, um, yeah, let's let's jump into it. Those are all the reasons why I like it. Um, there were a number of notable talks, um, but I want to just start off with what in particular, really was remarkable or impacted you in a significant way? Just one or two things, you know, where do we want to start here? Well, I think um, the importance of praying for the nations, interceding, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's definitely, like you can't leave this three, four day conference um, with, you know, not having a desire or this urgency to to right. pray um so i think that's one thing that great thing that i left with yeah like it really imparted like a burden for yeah, prayer. Exactly, yeah exactly yeah yeah that's a big thing well it definitely is a praying community yeah right uh when, when you get there you know that every single person there is praying when you go to church and uh you know not to be cliche, but like, hey, pray, you know, but you don't really see the church gathering and praying and really interceding. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to this conference, every single person that's there, yeah. like, hey, we're serious about this. We're praying. And you see it. Yeah. It's hours and hours of praying. Yeah. Right. Sure. So. And it was different to see that, like, it wasn't just about me, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't just about, like, which is great, but there is an importance of, um, 
interceding and just you're tired but you're just fighting through it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it doesn't feel like it's it's designed for you right right it feels like it's designed for for god and you are there to do something for god it's almost like a mission strip yes right yeah yeah i mean i think for me um i'm gonna be honest i went for selfish reasons (laughs) um i was feeling really jaded in my walk with god and uh you know pastor dennis encouraged me to come to contend and um, i just remember i was like you know i I do want to be you know set on fire and that's just what, what what was one of my desires and hungers like spiritually and so i went um honestly like wanting to be set on fire and that's exactly what i feel like happened you know like we were contending for america for um for me specifically i have so many stories that i could share to be honest of how impactful it was yeah share Um, one man i think for me um i think there was um a a time of sharing from matt Locke, right where yeah, he was, Lockett. Matt Lockett, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, and he was actually aligning um, prayer or the or intercessory with the events that were taking place in World mm-hmm. War II. Yeah. And just like my brother here said, um, you know, how really power, how powerful intercessory and prayer is and how it can really shake, um, you know, the nations. It was really awesome to see um, a group of, you know, set apart Christians praying during World War II mm-hmm. and receiving specific assignments from the Lord on yeah. what to pray for and how it aligned with really shaking um, the course of, of the war. You know, and right. I, that's something that we're not taught in school. That's something that you yeah. wouldn't really understand or know if somebody didn't, you know, do the research for you and, right. and share it, um, but more in like a Christian perspective. And I think that gave me even more of a motivation that, man, we do need to pray for America because America is a place that a lot of missionaries get sent out to or sent out from. And mm-hmm. they, there are a lot of people making an impact for the kingdom of, kingdom of God here. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was such a burden placed on my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's a, one thing I really appreciated about Contend this year. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Let's... let's um, go over that session a little bit right um for our for the people who weren't at this conference um matt lockett is the director of the justice house of prayer out in washington dc and they came up with the life tape so if you've seen pictures of those guys with red tape on their mouth and it just says life right in their front of the supreme court um that's that's them and um they've been interceding for washington dc for the supreme court for the president and all these things for a long time now. And Matt has had a number of amazing words over the years, right? Um, At Contend a couple years ago, um, he shared um, some of the words they had gotten about Neil Gorsuch, right? Incredible story. I'll just share it shortly um, for those who haven't heard it. Um, You know, I forget what judge died. There was a Supreme Court justice that either died or stepped down. I can't remember who it was, which one, because there was like three that happened in quick succession. This is the first one. Was it Scalia was the first one of those three that stepped down or was it Kennedy? I can't remember. But anyways, this seat opened up and um, Matt had conversations with two Christian leaders who gave him a prophetic word that the word was they needed to pray that that seat would not be filled. This was in the last year of Obama's term. And their assignment from the Lord was to pray that that seat would remain empty 
And the specific award that was given to him is because that seat is reserved for the Lord's champion. Right? It's a really interesting prophetic word. So they set themselves to pray for a year that that seat wouldn't be filled. And I remember, I didn't know about this word at this point, but I remember that period of history where the Republicans were stopping any effort, every effort, right, by the Democrats to try and fill that seat. They were trying to fill it with Merrick Garland. And um, they wouldn't even hear him. You know, they wouldn't even give him a hearing, nothing. They just were not going to do it. And um, I remember thinking, oh, that's really interesting. Um, but that's exactly what happened. And then, obviously, President Trump got elected, and um, he set about to fill the seat. And his shortlist, on shortlist, was a man named Neil Gorsuch. And um, and then they found out that Neil means champion, right? And so when they got that word, they knew that this was the one that the Lord had selected. And so they were praying. We were praying for Neil Gorsuch to get that Supreme Court seat. And then, again, sorry, I'll, I'll share one more story. Um, the next seat that opened up, I can't remember if it was RGB or Kennedy, um, but, you know, um, the seat opened up and I think it was Matt Lockett's wife, right? Matt Lockett's wife had a dream that she was talking with Karen Pence, Mike Pence's mm-hmm. wife. And there were, and he asked, she asked her, you know, who should fill the seat? And in the dream, I think it was Karen Pence that turned to her and said, remember the name, Amy Coney Barrett. Right, so they got a specific name of this justice, and um, so we were praying for Amy Coney Barrett, um, and she was on Trump's shortlist, but he ended up giving it to Kavanaugh, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time we were disappointed because we had felt like prophetically, like God had told us Amy Coney Barrett, mm-hmm. and um, but thank God she got in next time, right? Yeah. So these were prophetic revelations that you know we were praying for because of some of the words that Matt was giving years ago for stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So I think those are pretty amazing testimonies because they show, number one, you know, like we're living in the aftermath of it now. Both Neil Gorsuch and Amy Conant are in the Supreme um, Court. But what was helpful, I think, for me and for a lot of people was to see God cares about this stuff, right? Like I think a lot of times in the church, we tend to feel like, you know, you have your real life and then you have your church life. And they rarely interact. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's like that for a lot of Christians. And most Christians, you know, there's this popular paradigm in the church where like, oh, you don't want to get too political. Like God's not political, right? Don't get political. You know, what God cares about is things like it's all emotions, right? It's all about your feelings. He wants you to feel joy and peace and love. And those are the things that we're supposed to talk about in church. And I'm just convinced now that that is actually more humanism than biblical Christianity. Because if you actually study the Bible, there's so many political issues that come up in ancient Israel. The prophets are prophesying into political issues. God is concerned with the, the nations. He's concerned with what's hap- what happens with nations. He wants to raise up righteous nations. He corrects and judges and tears down nations and rulers. We see this throughout the Bible. And God is still concerned with that today. And that's a paradigm that I think most Christians don't have. So to hear these prophetic words, these prophetic testimonies, of all these different things, of how God is intimately concerned with the political drama that's happening today, I think that that's helpful. That's a helpful perspective for lots of us. Okay, mm-hmm. and so sorry for the long um, prologue here, but Matt Lockett's session was about Reese Howells. Reese was um, an intercessor that you know was living in the 20th century um, in during the rise of Hitler. And he started a school for intercessors. And basically, God gave them prophetic prayer assignments for all of the key battles in World War II. 
right? And, um, you know, they're, they're really incredible testimonies. I remember Matt shared about the Battle of Britain, how in one, in, in, in one episode, a um, number of the German pilots saw a ton of British planes that weren't actually there. But it actually foiled one of their attacks that was a really important one. And they, you know, uh, Matt was describing that to intercessory prayer, mm-hmm. right? And they talked about uh, one of the beach um, battles. Um, no, no, no. Oh. This was in Italy, if I remember. And he was talking about how they were praying specifically for this in this um, beach battle in Italy. And he was able to hear from one of the soldiers that was there, oh, yeah. right? And it was a it was a really interesting testimony. Um, but basically, there's this there's this conviction and belief that God was using the small company of intercessors in England that they were praying into these very um, important battles during World War II. And the implication there is that they turned the tide of the war. And, um, you know, living with that reality of this is the type of impact that intercessory prayer can have, mm-hmm. right, I think is something that, um, you know, most Christians that I know, they, they have no paradigm of this, yeah. right? Most people's prayer life consists of God help me get this job and this promotion and <laughs> pass this test, you know, or let me have this girlfriend. or You know what I mean? It's like... it. It's Wait, just more all... prayer than that? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> no way. <laughs> it's all my my stuff that's important to me, sure. right? And to be clear, I think those are good things to pray for, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with praying for those things. Yeah. But it's having a vision outside of that about what God cares about in the earth. And I think most Christians are totally oblivious to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is actually really helpful to hear testimonies like Reese Howells. I thought that presentation where he went over the entire history of Reese's community and how it interacted with World War II. And to see, it was like, you know, uh, Hitler was training youth at the same time that he was training youth to intercede, yeah. right? Like all of these int- really fascinating parallels, I thought was was great. So I actually thought that that session with Matt Lockhart was, um, was, was particularly amazing. And there was an implication that our call is God has a an agenda to put together these types of intercessory communities. Yeah, right. I'm curious, what did yeah. you guys think about that? <clears throat> well, just to piggyback off that, like I felt like what I took away from it, um, especially in hearing Matt, was the idea that you know most Christians don't have a paradigm or are missing the prophetic ministry. Yeah, and like there's just not a lot of teaching on it, and yeah. there isn't a whole paradigm for it. And he spoke about um, David, and he used the verse how David served God's purposes in his generation. Right. And I don't think we have that paradigm, yeah. that God has a plan and that he's doing something in our generation. And so, like, for me, I think I've gone through seasons where, um, you know, I've despised prophecy. And um, just because maybe things didn't work out how I thought it would work out. But how much... Um, I think prophetic ministry really opens opens us up to what God is doing, and yeah. that really gets us outside of ourselves. Right. And I think what was so great about Contend was we were gathering with a group of people who got outside of themselves to yeah. pursue God's plan mm-hmm. in this generation. Right. Yeah. And how much more fun, yeah. right? <laughs> like <laughs> ministry can be, and how great you know running with God can be if we are aligned to his purposes. Um, And I just think that part of the prophetic um, ministry is just missing. And a lot of people don't have that paradigm. And so they're just stuck in their own world. And, and so, 
yeah, I just felt like that was that was huge, and I think that was the great part about content. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, and this is really relevant for us because we're coming in, you know, where so many people have now become very jaded mm-hmm. against the prophetic, right? With what happened with Trump, yeah, right. So I know I know people who uh, they don't prophesy. They don't have people. They don't have prophets operating in their churches or they're not teaching people prophets or anything but they're talking about how wrong all the prophets were in regards to trump Mm -hmm. and to me i i just think there's this there's this incredible um presumption with this Mm -hmm. like i don't know how you presume to Mm -hmm. judge prophecy when you don't even care enough about it to eagerly pursue it Mm -hmm. from my perspective if you're not eagerly desiring um prophecy and really trying to walk in it like you, how how would you presume to be able to judge what prophecy is right and wrong, you know? And that to me is it's such a problem in the body, right? So I say that to say, yeah, I'm not. I don't consider myself a prophet, but a lot of people consider like consider me prophetic. And I have to say, it's it's not that I'm particularly prophetic. It's just because I actually pay attention to the prophetic people. <laughs> like that's my paradigm on this, right? Like I, I really like when Lou gives a word. Lou Engel gives a word. I am paying attention, right? When guys like Bob Jones is giving a word, I'm paying attention. I'm talking about some of these credible prophets here. Yeah. Bob Jones passed away, but some of these very credible prophets, Jeremiah Johnson, when they're giving a word, I'm paying attention and I'm testing it and I'm praying into these things because I, I think that they do hear from God. Right, but you're right. That's something that is not common in the body, and I think as you're talking about that, it like, when the body's cut off from prophetic revelation like that, you don't know what is important to God, you know. And I think we all just naturally default to what's important to God is my life and mm-hmm. my job yeah. and my ministry and you know what I'm doing, yeah. you know. But the sad truth is, your ministry may not be important to God at all, <laughs> or very little, right? I mean, and, and I say that to say I don't, I don't want to demean anybody's you know, ministry or what they're doing. But I do think there's a sense in which God actually has an agenda. God wants to yeah. do stuff. Yeah. And the more the more um, burdened you are for the things that God wants to do in the earth, mm-hmm. the better your, your ministry is going to reflect his priorities. And I think the reality is a lot of ministries, they don't realize they're actually fighting against the purposes of God, thinking they're doing his will. I think we see that in scripture, right? Where like God sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what happens? He has all these people that are opposing him. Like, and they, I don't think they thought to themselves, oh yeah, I'm opposing God, you know, like, but they don't realize that it's not Nehemiah's agenda. It's God's agenda that Nehemiah is serving. And that's why this issue of politics is so Mm -hmm. important because all of these issues almost inevitably become politicized. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, we talked a good amount about Israel. Mm-hmm. Right. And Lou, Lou blew me away a little bit because, you know, the thing about Lou is I don't consider him like he's not one of those guys that's going to give like 500 prophetic words a year. Mm-hmm. He gets like one prophetic word every five years. <laughs> right. And he says it over and over yeah. and over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. To me, I think Lou Engel is one of the most trustworthy prophetic voices on the mm-hmm. planet. Because he's it, he, it's never he's not giving prophetic words because people expect him to give prophetic words, yes. something like that, right? He's giving prophetic words because he becomes 
burdened, right? Mm-hmm. He becomes deeply burdened by these messages, and then he just starts to proclaim them. And to me, I thought it was so cool how it, it, God's clearly speaking to him about Israel now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, I appreciated that now he's speaking out forcefully. He came hard yeah. against um, anti-Semitism, and specifically, he was talking about it in the context of how people criticize Israel as being an oppressor mm-hmm. of the Palestinian people, right? He was saying, if you believe yeah. that, yeah. you don't realize you've come under a spirit of anti-Semitism, yeah. right? Now, I've heard that before from pastors um, and from, from leaders in the church, and I appreciate that. I've never heard Lou come hard on that issue. And I'll say, I think Lou has the ability to really move the body on lots of things. Like, mm-hmm. I know he moved me and so many other people on the yes. issue of abortion. I think... Now that Lou is like fully on board the Israel thing, I think he's going to move a lot of believers. And obviously, it's not just him, but mm-hmm. I think he is a strong prophetic voice, right? Um, in terms of in the body, but mm-hmm. I think I, I'm excited. I think God's going to raise up a, a huge movement of evangelicals to support Israel yes. in, a, in a much more brazen and mm-hmm. bold manner. I don't know. What did you guys think of all the Israel stuff? It's already a controversial subject, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Within the church. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's already controversial. Yeah. And usually what's um, newsworthy or taking the spotlight on a national level or um, in media um, is because there's spiritual significance to it. For sure. And I see this in um, the news, too. Yeah, they're pushing that, you know, oppressive state. You know, Palestinians have been displaced. They just want their homeland back. You know, oh, yeah. so I'm like, you, you got to pay attention. You know there's something spiritual going on with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's intermixed, intermeshed with the critical race theory stuff, right? Yes. It's yes. all part of the same narrative, yes. right? There's these evil oppressors, and they're oppressing these poor, weak minorities, yep. right? And the Israel-Palestinian issue fits into that narrative in the same way. Yes. And so they're, they're, to me, it seems so clearly linked together. Yes. I don't know, what do you guys think? Well, yeah, definitely that, right? So they're using critical race theory to go ahead and make Israel to be an oppressor. and But for me, what stood out was the end time significance of this. Yeah, it's true. And, and I think that's what Lou was really talking about. You, you, we're talking about ushering in the coming of Jesus here. Yeah. So I love end times. Yeah. I've been talking about this since I was born. I, mean, I was predestined to talk about end times, you know? I want the world to end in a good way. So yeah, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah. And talking about how Lou wants to raise up 100 million uh, intercessors for for Israel, right? Yeah. To pray for Israel. Come on. For the salvation of the Jews. Because those are the... Uh, kind of the prerequisite for Jesus coming back. You yeah. know, how exciting is that? Yeah. Love it. Right. I've been praying about this. Like God put it in pastors' hearts, those who are mm-hmm. prophetic, to talk about Israel. Because yes. in the end, I mean, God is still keeping His promises mm-hmm. for Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I've just offended a lot of post millennials and uh, <laughs> amillennials, but I really do believe that. Yeah. That yeah. God still has a plan and covenant with Israel. Oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. I, in my experience as a pastor, it's hard for a lot of people to get vision for Israel. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it was, it was a little hard for me, too. Like, I remember thinking as I was studying, you know, some of this dispensational theology a little bit, like, how, you know, this doesn't seem fair. Like, for me, as a Korean-American 
Christian, I have to lay down my racial identity, right? I can't think of myself firstly as a Korean and secondly as a Christian, right? All of us as believers, you know, we have to put our Christian identity above our racial or ethnic identity. And then it seems like there's this but, unless you're a Messianic Jew, then you don't even have to be called a Christian, right? You get your own, you know, you get your own tribe that is different from all the other Christians, right? And I remember just being honest, I wrestled with this a little bit when I was in seminary. Like, dude, that doesn't seem fair. Like, why is it, why is this one nation, why is it so important, right? And I'll just be honest, I think, yeah, it's hard for a lot of even evangelical Christians to understand what role Israel plays why it's such a big deal. Why does God care so much about this nation? And he's so, like, we're, like, I have to give money to Israel, right? Like, I have to give money to Israel. I have to pray for Israel, right? And if I don't, I'm cursed, right? Like, you know, like, like I'm just being real. Like, I think yeah. a lot of people, it, this is, this sure. is a tough one. Yeah. I think what helped me too was like, when I got, first of all, like, um, when you, um, shared about it at content. Something really spoke to my heart too. And it's, I think for me, it's the idea of being about the father's business. And if I'm truly praying for his kingdom to come, mm-hmm. and I would, even if I don't have a heart for Israel to begin with, I want his kingdom to come. Yeah. I want to be about his business. So even if I didn't start with it, mm-hmm. well, God, how can I then get a heart for it? Right. Because I want to get a heart for what's on, you know, your heart. Yeah. And um, and I think for me, too, just understanding the role that they played, right, gives me a sense of thankfulness in my heart and a, and a sense of gratitude for what they did and who came before us, which then turns my heart towards them again, right? Yeah. So, and I think for me, too, just going through my own kind of season of uh, turning my heart back to my roots, my you know, my Korean roots or just turning my heart back to my father, going back and honoring those who came before me, I think has turned something in my heart to to to, to get um, a sense of gratitude for even the nation of Israel and yes. our Jewish tradition and, and roots and heritage. And I think something in that when I started to um, turn my heart towards honoring those who have come before me has really made it easier for me to develop a heart of gratitude for the Jewish people yes. as well. Like, um, I want to be a blessing to them, yes. you know, like understanding where they came from and, and, and where our Christian roots come from. It's like, man, let's go back and bless. Let's, you know, be a blessing to them if we can and, and play some part in that too. So, yeah. 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 Amen. Hey, it's Jesus. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, all the heroes, right? We idolize, yeah. right? They're all, they're all yeah, Israelites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that um, the speaker was kind of emphasizing, or I, I don't know if it was an emphasis, but he was just kind of mentioning was that if any nation has been oppressed, it's the Israelites. You know, For like sure. historically, they um, yeah. they were constantly conquered and mm-hmm. kind of. Um, abused and enslaved and scattered and so now that um so just to kind of to make his point he was like to change the narrative that they're the oppressors and Mm. they're the ones that are um and he's saying and and, and i think i speak for everybody here and even the speaker he was he was saying that israel is not a perfect nation 
right? Yeah. Like we're not trying to idolize them or put them on a pedestal and say that they haven't made mistakes or um, they're they're sinless, but we just believe biblically that they're they play a huge part in you know seeing Christ return. And this is bigger than evangelicals. This is bigger than America. Honestly, this is we want the kingdom to come. We want Jesus to raise. And I think I think if we as believers can humble ourselves and say, this isn't yeah. about us. This isn't our story. This is really seeing Jesus come to reign, yes. rule, and to restore. Um, then we can catch that vision and understanding and really begin to pray for something bigger than ourselves. You know, for sure. And I think that that's what the vision, I, I believe I caught when I, I didn't, I'm going to be honest, before I didn't really pray for Israel much, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really on my radar. Um yeah. I mean, I probably didn't even pray just in general. You know what I mean? Um, but I feel like... Um, Confess all your sins now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let the world know. To the know. left. To the right. <laughs> um, no, but I really, be- I really believe um, in what God is doing and, and that it is right for us as uh, fellow co-heirs to pray for our brothers yeah. and sisters yeah. um, in Israel right now. Yeah. Well, question. When you guys... You know, obviously we're all guessing here. If you had to put a number on it, when do you think Jesus is coming back? <gasps> and I, I say this because... Such an unfair uh, question. You know, Paul, Paul you know, alluded to it before, but a lot of this prophecy is alluding to the return. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When we're talking about, you know, uh, God mobilizing 100 million intercessors for the nation of Israel specifically, right? We're talking about a massive... Uh, the hope of a massive revival in Israel. And this is prophesied, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Romans 11 Sorry. talks about if, you know, Israel's hardness and sin brought, um, you know, riches to the Gentiles, how much more so will their full inclusion bring, right? And the, the idea that if Israel comes to great faith in Christ, then what's going to happen is there's going to be this outbreak of great blessing upon the whole earth, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of these prophetic words, like the billion soul harvest. I don't know if you guys, you know, have heard that word from Bob Jones, you know, back in the 80s talking about this. This is big in charismatic circles, right? That we're looking for a worldwide revival of a billion soul harvest. I've heard that, you know, number so many times, but it's the great end time harvest, right? In the, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, mm. right? There's a great harvest at the end of the age. And that's what they think. They think that that's speaking of a specific revival, that is on the horizon and that we might be part of it, right? And that specifically that God's raising up missionaries, gonna this huge missions movement, especially I keep hearing like there's gonna be tons of Asian missionaries, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That are gonna go into the Middle East and invade the Middle East for Christ. We're talking about a huge end time harvest in the context of great calamity, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I've been talking about this and several people have been like, what happens if American power falls? Yeah. Right, and we'll get into that more in depth in a second here. But yeah, if we're talking about this great end time calamity and this great revival of harvest, the two that go together, we're talking about something that could potentially be the return of Christ. So I just say, like, how realistic do you think this is? Like when I listen to like guys like Mike Mike Bickle, Mike Bickle's like, yeah, either my lifetime or my kids' lifetime is happening. <laughs> right? What do you think? I think it's in our lifetime. Our lifetime. Yeah, but I'm a dispensationalist. It can happen right now. <laughs> Any second now, <laughs> yeah. right? But no, I mean, I think that there needs to be this expectancy that it could happen in your lifetime. 
-hmm. right? We want to see Jesus return. That is the greatest thing that we Christ followers right now are to be looking forward to. It's his return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think. Yeah. I like that you use the word expectancy. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like when I think of the student volunteer missions movement, their motto was, you know, I forget the exact phrasing, but it was the whole nation in our, the whole world in our generation, every nation in our generation. Right. And their expectation was they were going to try and reach every single nation in their lifetimes. Right. And that's something that you generally don't see in the church right now. I haven't heard that type of, I don't know, triumphalism, Mm. (laughs) you know, that type of confidence that we're going to do that. Like there doesn't seem to be a missions movement that's saying, hey, we can do this. We can make this happen. I personally have not been hearing a lot of that in, you know, the recent past. But as you pointed out, like there's something that is powerful about that to believe that it could happen in our lifetimes and to have that sense of. And so given that context, what else matters? Right. If Christ can return in our lifetimes, if we can finish the Great Commission in our lifetimes, why would we be about anything else? Amen. Why would we be devoting ourselves yeah. to anything else? I feel like there's a sense in which, because we don't believe that it could happen, we just settle in and be like, well, you know, I'll enjoy this life too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, Jesus talks about that in his parables. The, yeah. the servants that were saying, ah, he's not going to come back for a while. Yeah. So let's just live up our life. Let's party. Yeah. And then he comes back. So I think that, that imminency of his return Right, and I think it's Second Peter five even talks about you can hasten the coming of the Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's we're we should be looking forward to hastening everything that we're doing yeah. is for His return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How dare you be so uncalvinistic? <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, sir. <laughs> In the words of Chick Fil A. <laughs> Yeah, what, what do you think? Do you think like we can actually literally change the date of Jesus coming through our actions? Ooh, that's a... Uh, oh, man. Sorry, this is a tangent now. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, only he knows when he's coming back, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But we... Uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Yep. Right? They're outside with their oil lamps, expecting that he can come at any hour. Mm. Right? And so... I mean, if if... The salvation of the Jews is what needs to happen before Jesus is coming back, mm-hmm. right? And we we want to go ahead and and what was the other what was the other prerequisite? Disciple all nations. Yeah, remnant from every nation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we're almost there. We're yeah. almost there. Yeah. Almost every people group has heard the the gospel, right? So that and then Jews being saved. I, mean, I feel like we're in the last hour here. My understanding yeah. is that we're not that close to every nation having a remnant. Unless, you, you know, maybe like, well, a person from every nation, you know, that's always a, an hour away. But if they're talking about, if they, if they define a reach people group as something like 5% of the nation or something like that, I forget exactly what oh, okay. the mission statistics use. Yeah. I've, I've heard that if we were going at the trajectory that we were in the 90s, because in the 90s there was a huge global mm-hmm. missions push, yeah. but after the turn of the millennium, a lot of that missions fire died down. A lot of missionaries came home. A lot of missions budgets dried up. Mm-hmm. And so at the rate we're going, I've heard it's going to be like 200 years until we finish the Great Commission. Yeah. Okay. So uh, all of that is... I've heard different. I thought it was like next week. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, just, I'm just you know saying stuff that I've heard. I'm yeah. not an expert on this particular topic, yeah. so I'm not sure... Um, but all of this, you know, it, everything changes if you have a great revival. Yes, amen. Right? If you have a great revival, then tons of missionaries get 
thrust into the mission field. Yeah. yeah. Right. And um, so I think those numbers can change, you know, really fast per se. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah. about this. Sorry to sorry for the tangent on that. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? In our generation, Jesus is is Jesus returning? I would say. I mean, I think. It, yeah, I mean, I would say in our generation or the next. Like that's that's the max for me. And do you think it's sent, or do you think it matters? Do you think our decisions matter? Oh man, you're uh, you're, you're getting into some theological. Oh, well, I, I think so. Right I mean, now. in Second Peter five, you can hasten the coming of of, of the Lord yeah. mm-hmm. by living godly and holy lives. Yeah. Right, and and the more we are uh, advancing His kingdom, right, uh, the more mm-hmm. that we're discipling the nations and doing these things I think we can hasten I can't put a time on it I mean, there's yeah. no way for us to know but I think we need to have that kind of thinking that Lord we want you to come soon yeah I agree and yeah. and you're using us and uh, to to heavenize Christianize the world I'm going to use post-millennial you know terms yeah. here yeah. right to usher in your your kingdom I, I think we need to have that kind of thinking I, I agree. Here's yeah. here's the question I'm asking. If we fail in our generation, mm. can we add two, three hundred years to the timetable before Jesus returns? Man. And, awesome. and can we yeah. delay it? Well, yeah. By meaning, our inaction? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the implication. If we can, yeah. through our actions, hasten the day of his coming, well, then the parallel truth seems to be that if through our inter- in our inaction, mm-hmm. right, we can delay mm-hmm. the coming. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think all this relevant because I, what I want to jump into is the discussion about Fred Marker, right? Mm-hmm. And he's talking about civilizational collapse, right? And if civilization collapses, he talks about us going into a two hundred year dark age, <laughs> right? Can we miss a window of opportunity that we have in this generation? That's what it feels like. That that's a very real danger. But like. At least my understanding is in the Bible, there's so many examples of where, you know, God, God um, relents or God listens to prayers or like, even with Moses, he wanted to destroy the Israelites and he's like, I'm going to make a new nation with you. But Moses sought his favor and was like, no, 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 don't kill them. Yeah. And God relented, right? So I don't know how you can argue like, no, God planned to do that. I don't know how that would get argued, but to me... Yeah. It seems well, like there's significance. The Calvinists, I'm sure, always argue that, that God was always going to do that, right? But from my paradigm... So why would he waste his word like no, that? Well, like, my paradigm is... I think <laughs> Moses had gone like, okay, Lord, and he took two steps to the left. It might have been a really different picture of what happened. Yeah. A really different history of Israel. I think that's very possible. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so I simply say that to say, like, to me, I, I, I'm not sure about anything related mm-hmm. to this conversation. But to me, that's a very interesting possibility, right? Mm-hmm. If we're talking about, hey, we have an opportunity here yeah. to serve the purposes of God in our generation mm-hmm. and to see this incredible revival come about, to hasten the day of his coming, yes. right? Or we can miss our window of opportunity, right? And another two, three hundred years, another cycle of empire will come and go, mm-hmm. right? You took us there, Dennis. Oh man, you took us there. I don't want that to happen. So I, I would, I'd, I'd rather that it be in our generation. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, right? Of course. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What do you think? 
do you think we're we're, we're missing it or do you think we're well, I, I think there's two principles here. I yeah. think one is this: like, there's a danger of us thinking it's all up to us, mm-hmm. and that, and then we feel so much pressure and anxiety yeah. and yeah. all this kind of stuff, right? I think the truth is that God is good at leading us, even though we are sheep, not so good, yeah. right? Yeah. And dumb and stupid, and He's still able to lead us, yes. you know, in in amazing ways. But I do think that there is a truth of human responsibility, mm-hmm. and that that has real ramifications, mm-hmm. and that even if we're sheep, we can be really bad sheep. Mm-hmm. Or we can be good sheep, <laughs> something like that, right? And so I, I, you know, like there's scriptures to talk about in I think Ezekiel, right? I look for a man who would stand in the gap, right, and build the wall, but I found, you know, I found no one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like a, a lot of the ways that I was taught to interpret that is like, oh yeah, God planned for that, and He's just bemoaning the fact. But I actually take it more literally, right? I think no, He was actually looking for somebody, and there wasn't anyone. And so he couldn't do what he wanted to do, right? And I think history is filled with that happening all the time. Like, I think God raises up people and leaders and organizations to do stuff, and then they miss it, and they sin, or they fall into temptation, or they something happens, and I think it can kill what God wanted to do. And then if he can find someone else who will raise up that person, Mm -hmm. I think there are times where he can't find anyone else. He can mm. fulfill his purposes through that he wants to there, right? Mm. Again, all this is very bad Calvinism, so I'm sure the Calvinists <laughs> are really mad at me right now. Um, but all of this t- makes sense to me in this paradigm. And I'm trying to figure this out as much as anybody. But I say that because, you know, for me, I wonder to what degree, if I had that paradigm really strong, how much urgency would it give me? Yeah. Right. If I didn't have any understanding of like, oh yeah, God's in control, His will is going to be done, you know, it's it's you know He's gonna He's gonna make the best come out of all of our you know because a lot of the Calvinist theology that I was raised in lends itself towards that kind of interpretation, right? Oh, it's okay, don't worry so much because God knows you're an idiot and you're sinful and you can't get anything right. He's able to accomplish His will for you no matter what, mm-hmm. right? I'm just not sure a lot of that aspect is right. What if, you know, we didn't have a lot of that stuff floating around in our brains and it was just this urgency. No, we've got to do this, right? Like when you go into war, you know, you're thinking like we've got to we've got to beat them. Mm-hmm. Right? This is life or death, yeah. right? Yeah. And we've got to do this and it gives you a, a real urgency and a determination to overcome incredible odds. And honestly, when I look at the, the body of Christ, I see such a lack of urgency, right? Yeah, such a yeah. lack of, you know, and, and and just to be real, this is just me confessing, I feel like a lot of it is because we have this belief that, oh yeah, everything's going to take care of itself. God's in control, you know? And I, I say that as somebody who criticizes that mentality, but yet there is still a part of me that is influenced by that thinking, mm. right? Like, yeah, God is in control, so I'm not to worry so much. I'm not to be, you know, that concerned. I just worry, I, I just question, like, to what degree is that robbing me of a healthy urgency, mm-hmm. right? I want a healthy urgency. Yeah. And, I, like, man, if Jesus is coming back in my generation and I have a short amount of time to potentially fulfill the purposes of God, mm-hmm. I want to be fully engaged in this thing. I don't want to waste my time with any of the other garbage that mm-hmm. I could be doing, right? And I just feel like, you know, we're fighting that battle, you know, in the midst of our American affluence yeah. and all the temptations and the luxuries yeah. that pull us away to just enjoy life. Yeah. And I, I want full urgency, guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that urgency uh, is lacking because it's not uh, focusing on Christ's return. 
If you if you know and believe with your heart that Jesus is returning, yeah, right. Especially he could return in your lifetime, and you understanding that he's going to judge the nations, he's going to judge even Christians, the mm-hmm. Bama seat. That will fill you with urgency, regardless of your uh, Calvinism. You know, if you're a determinist or if you are all about human responsibility. But if you understand that Jesus is coming back to judge, yeah. Sure. Every part of you is going to be moving towards living holy lives, doing uh, work for the kingdom. I mean, there's there's no other react response to that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you take that away, and you're just thinking that you know, oh, you just come back in a minute now, or I'm just going to be in heaven, then there's you have this kind of lackadaisical Christianity. Yeah. I mean, I mean we've talked about this ad nauseum, Dennis. I mean, the judgment seat of Christ is incredibly important yes. go ahead David well I think yeah. that's too because for me I didn't have that par- paradigm yeah. of there being two judgments mm-hmm. right yeah there's the great white throne judgment mm-hmm. where there's the book of life and where if your name is written in it then yeah hooray but if not then like a fire right yeah. I think that's the paradigm I had my whole life and so I was working towards that first judgment just mm-hmm. getting saved just getting saved yeah but I never had the paradigm of the judgment seat of Christ right yeah. where um, there are rewards for good works and those bad works will be judged and burned, right? Yeah. Um, but not having that paradigm, I was not motivated to be about God's business, right? Yeah, for because sure. why yeah. should I be? Yeah. Why should I be about the Father's business? Why do I care about seeing His kingdom come quickly if we're all going to get into heaven anyways? And so I think yeah. maybe, you know, I grew up in the church my whole life, but I was never exposed to that. Um, and so I think, um, we're partly missing that urgency because we don't have that paradigm of, um, the judgment seat of Christ. And this was just the other thought I had too, was, um, I don't want to be anxious either. Mm. And I think just, you shared this book with me recently, which Mm -hmm. is, I think it was called the Christian love story, Mm -hmm. but it's the paradigm of, um, the bride and groom, Yeah, you know, and if I am a bride and if I am waiting for the groom, um, I'm waiting with anticipation and excitement but i'm doing everything i can to prepare myself right knowing that the groom could come at any moment at any second because i'm in love right and i think that sense of being wed being betrothed Mm -hmm. and and that excitement of love Mm -hmm. um kind of can overcome some of that anxiety um and put us in a better place of preparing ourselves yeah and uh, and getting ready and um and i think that's kind of an indictment on a lot of us and our relationship with god like um do we have that paradigm of we are betrothed and do we love god are we waiting with anticipation for our groom to be wed and um and i think a lot of people don't care right like they're trying to delay his coming as long as possible right yeah i don't think it's that they don't care, but I think it seems like it's more of a like a legend to to Christians. You know what I mean? It's more of like a myth. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, we it's, know it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's out of reach. It's not, you know, once again in our lifetime. Or yeah. it just doesn't seem real. It hasn't you know happened I mean? in two thousand years. Right. So yeah. So it's I mean, like it's not going to happen in our mm-hmm. lifetime. Yeah. But you know, as like my brother was stating it's so biblical in terms of like all the parables that Jesus was stating of just being ready and being, um, you know, having your lamp filled with oil, you know, and not getting caught up in, in the things of this world of, of, 
um, marriage, of weddings, of, of having, you know, building your kingdom here on this earth. I mean, when I was in high school, I actually had um, an incident where somebody, I forgot who it was, but it was a prophetic voice back in the day when they were like, God is going to send an earthquake at a 4.4 magnitude earthquake at like 4.40 a.m., right? And I remember I went to uh, sleep that day and, you know, I was just kind of like, I've heard, you know, prophecies here and there and um, didn't really think much of it. But when I went to sleep, um, I kid you not, like an earthquake, I woke up exactly at like 440. Um, and uh, I don't know if it was 4.4, but I know an earthquake was happening. And the first thought that I that came to my mind, and I don't think it was me, I think it was just God, where it was like, what have I done for the Lord? That's all I was thinking. Like as... As the earth, because I at, at that moment my my whole thought was God's here, like Jesus is here, and I was like I had this healthy fear in my heart where I was like, what have I done for the Lord? And I was in high school, you know what I mean? I was just like, dang. And looking back at that, and as we're talking about this topic, I really think it is a healthy fear um, to have within our hearts to really move us out of that complacency. Remember I told you, like, I never grew up learning about Millennial Kingdom. Like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, you know? All we did is just pray, like, like God, God forgive me. <laughs> I used to li- literally pray, me. don't come yet, please. I don't know if I'm saved. I just want to make it in. That's all. Yeah. I just want to make it in. And then my goal became that. I just yeah. want to make it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barely pass the fire. Yeah. And now I'm slowly, like, my, there's that healthy fear that we're all talking about. Like, God, yeah. like, this, the servant who uh, hid his talent in the ground where mm-hmm. you will be judged. Like, God has been putting that in my heart for, like, over a year. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know, but I'm saying, nobody, yeah. we didn't learn about any of this. Was like, what do you mean we're going to live on Earth? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, yeah. nobody talked about mm-hmm. when you die. You just, we just assume we went to heaven, whatever that meant. Mm. And then your whole existence is just praising God, right? Like, that's yeah. literally all you do, yeah. was my best guess. Yeah. So, I know there's different theologies out there, but I think having an understanding of what it actually looks like will also sure. um, instruct people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Theology matters. Mm. Yeah. Theology matters. Yeah. Well, there, there are two big things that I actually am really curious about what you guys feel about it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Fred Markert's um, session. So Fred, for those who are unfamiliar with him, is a major leader at YWAM, Youth with a Mission. He's a major conference speaker. He speaks out a lot of, um, I've heard him a number of times. And um, he he is basically arguing that we show all the signs of an empire in decline, right? And so he, I forget how many empires he studied throughout world history. It's 20-something, 30-something. Um the rise and fall of empires and he's basically saying that we're manifesting all of the signs of the fall and he's estimating that you know he said things in 2025 is when he would peg the fall of american power right and like the, the beginning of it or no no, no. we're already in the beginning of it it's mm-hmm. it's that's the end of it right he it's, says we're overdue yeah we're overdue for it and wow. you know he's making the argument that we're going to progress into a multipolar world mm-hmm. right when if american power is if american is if America is not a hegemonic power in the world, then his mm-hmm. argument is uh, there's going to be war, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And um, and the problem with that from a missions perspective is that war shuts down missions, right? Mm. Great global conflict shuts down missions. Um, missions thrives in a unipolar world where you have one major power who's creating peace around the earth. Um, but if um, 
you know, in, in the context where there's multiple world powers that are relatively even in their power, there tends to be war, and that shuts down missions, movements. And um, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you guys think about that? Um, do you think his argument was compelling, number one? And what do you think about his timetable? Like, 2025 is when he, about he was pegging it, but he said it could go as late as 2029. Yeah, I think he's on to something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to, to see that America is in incredible decline. Mm-hmm. One thing that was really convincing, he's talking about the, the, the cycles that happen like um, in a nation before its decline, and normally it's when it's in its, was it degenerate or right. basically when it's in sin, yeah, right? Morality. Morality, morality is, yeah, that it's right there mm. that it's going to end. We're, we're there. Mm-hmm. We're there going 800 miles per hour. So, I, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Let me well, put it back to you. Well, I'll answer. I want to get Asking your input all the first. questions there. Yeah, I well, talk with, too much. With regards to the gospel, like, for sure, when there is one world power, yeah. borders open, doors open. Yep. And I think the example for that would be Rome, right? Sure. Um, Rome was a world power, um, and they were an empire, and they built great roads, and the gospel was just able to go forth, right? Yeah. Go mm-hmm. forth. That was really the birth of the church was the gospel going throughout, you know, the Roman Empire. And because um, there was peace and there was uh, stability. And so for sure, I think that's important. Um, I feel like there are some people who might argue that, you know, the gospel might go forth in greater power when there's persecution, when there are closed borders. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how, you know, someone might you know, take that position and be like, oh, it doesn't matter. We don't need a hegemonic power because the gospel can thrive in persecution, for example, in China, right? The underground church. So I don't know if I can argue one is better than the other, but I think I would say that, yeah, no, it's it's better for there to be peace. Um, and there are better to it's better for there to be open doors. Um, we want to make it easier, I think, for the gospel to go forth. Um, Rather than, you know, the gospel having to necessarily um, thrive in persecution. I, I'm not so sure yet which one is better, but I'd have to imagine it's better when there's peace. Mm-hmm. Um, that more people would hear the gospel um, it, when there's a hegemonic power, when doors are open rather than closed. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting, in you know, in Rome, there, there, there was a hegemonic power, but there was also persecution. True. Right. So you can have a situation, I think, where the gospel is being persecuted, um, but what the the unipolar world does is it creates a, a stability where there's lots of travel, lots of free travel, and um, and missionaries can basically go everywhere in times of, of major conflict. It's just literally the missionaries can't go. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like there's fighting. So the nations are closing their borders and that there's, you know, there's no money to do it because, the, you know, people are literally fleeing their homes and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's more of where the argument is, but you're right. Um, the gospel does tend to thrive in persecuted areas, but it, the context matters too. Right. I don't think it's just a pure, like the more persecution, the more it thrives. Right. Because we see that, you know, like, the gospel is persecuted in Japan, and Japan is, like, one of the least Christianized nations, right? Because they killed all the Christians there, right? And they kicked out the rest. And since then, uh, there's a judgment that's come upon Japan, I think. And, um, you know, they've been closed, essentially, the gospel for a long time. 
So I think it can go, you know, one way or the other, um, and it's it's not it's not so easy as just persecution equals fruitfulness or something like that. That'd be my you know, mini take right there. I don't know. But what else, what else do you guys think about, you know, this timetable and about the the potential of American power failing? Going back to um, do you remember I think it was that episode with Joe where you talked about that feminist. Yeah, Camille Paglia. Yeah, yeah, how she linked um, decline of civilization to embracing, what was it? Like, Transgender. Transgenderism, and yeah. All that stuff, yeah. yeah and now we're, they're trying to fly the flag from our embassies and yeah. such. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things here. The, the whole idea of moral relativity, right? When moral relativity becomes popular in your culture, the problem is that it actually destroys stuff. Yeah. Right? It destroys families. It destroys... Um, you know, functioning components of society, right? And it creates tons of division, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, uh, these powers, they, they degenerate from the inside and the com- the internal conflict, right, erodes their power. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that we do see in history that's obviously, like that's relevant for us today, right, yes. in America. We can all see how uh, the division that has increased so much in the recent, you know, yeah. past. I mean, we're in- are, we're still in Prime Month, are we? Is it still June? Yeah. Yeah. It is. yeah, we have a whole month dedicated to it now in our yeah. country. It's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on these are being signs that Jesus is coming back soon? Because it talks about, you know, Jesus talks about yeah. it in the, the last days, wars, rumors of wars. Yeah. So a multipolar world, yeah. there's going to be wars, right? Yeah. And then all this uh, debauchery going on are signs that he's coming. Yeah, I don't know. I, to be honest, for me personally, I look at Israel as the major barometer of his coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel, I think, is represented by the fig tree, right? When Jesus says, you know, look to the fig tree to understand. I see Israel as the prophetic clock, Got it. right? Yeah. So Israel becoming a nation again definitely showed that we are in a late stage, I yeah. think, of the prophetic clock when they reach Jerusalem. And just in the in the past, I think, 50 years, they say there's been more Jews that have come to know Jesus than in all of history combined. I've heard that statistic. Wow. I don't know if that's true. But all of that, to me, it are signs that we are approaching the end of the age, mm-hmm. right? But I am looking for a major revival amongst the Jewish people. Like that, to me, a major revival amongst the Jewish people would be the strongest sign that we are very close to his return. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah I mean, going back on just kind of like the multipolar um, kind of, I mean, when you look at history, like Frank was talking, or I mean, I think even Matt, Matt Lockett mm-hmm. was once again just kind of walking us through um, history of like World War Two, mm-hmm. and um, World War Two happened because there were you know, multi-polar powers in the world that um, were fighting for, um, I guess, dominancy, right? And so um, just w- when you look at outside of the U.S. right now and just speaking on China and Russia and kind of just the moves that they're um, doing in the background, right? Not, nothing 100% confirmed, but just what you can see of them buying out property like all of in all of Africa, right? Like China, um, and all these different um, just kind of strategies that I feel like are, are happening right now. You can tell that um, that there that America is kind of on the edge here, right? To becoming um, 
I would say to lose its place as as the the unipolar power, right? Um, which does lead to, um, I would say, could, could potentially lead to another like, world war, like we we're talking about, yeah. on how there is going to be a, and and how it affects the missions movement, right? Um, one thing that always confuses me is a lot of people that I know, Christians that I know nowadays, they're like, well, I mean, America, uh, like America is not the end all be all for Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, what what if, um, for example, like China takes over the world, like, like we got to stop putting America on this pedestal, right? Like that that's just some of the things that I've heard from Christians yeah. um, in, in my circles and. I think for me, I, I they don't understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, communism, right? They don't understand yeah. Marxism. They don't understand that yeah. if if there was a unipolar um, country that was fully on board with being anti-Christian, then that does change the whole. Um, I mean, change our whole lives. You know what I mean? Oh, it for sure. Affects affects missions. Affects it is a huge deal, right? I think that needs to be kind of stated. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the way that things are going right now and just kind of what's happening in the background, it does seem like there's there's a, a huge event gonna, that's going to take place that could really change a lot of things. Yeah. yeah, I think the two signs of America's, you know, the two things that I think could really um, destroy America that I see right now is number one, the debt crisis, mm-hmm. right? We're in a place right now where the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency, meaning the dollar has been so stable, right, and so trustworthy in our history yeah. that most of the countries, they back up their own currency with dollars, right? They have a lot of dollars. They have U.S. dollar assets, right? They trust the dollar. Mm-hmm. And it's a big reason why the dollar has remained very strong, even though our government is printing it like there's no tomorrow, mm-hmm. right, at this point. They're printing it like crazy. The bigger problem is that in our American politics, there is no serious effort to cut spending. Mm. Like you can't. It's politically, it's political suicide at this point to cut spending. No one tries anymore. Yeah. Like Donald Trump, you know, for all of him being a great, you know, leader, he had no interest in cutting spending. Right? He was all about spend, 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 spend. And the problem there is, you know, one of the, the accusations the Democrats raise at the Republicans is like, hey, look, we, we believe in spending, but we tax also, right? So we're going to raise taxes and we're going to raise spending. The problem with the Republicans is we're going to cut taxes and we're going to raise spending now, mm. right? And that leads us into greater debt. And that's absolutely true, right? Now, to be clear about that, the reason why we can't cut spending is because of the Democrats, right? The only ones trying to cut spending at this point are the very right-wing, libertarian wing of the Republican Party. No one else is trying to cut spending. And the point here is that when you have no political will to cut government spending, then what you're talking about is there's there's no realistic way that we can balance the budget, mm-hmm. right? Our, our, our government debt is out of control, and the problem here is this naturally leads to inflation. And if we're talking about inflation, I think we've seen major signs of it just this past year, right? We've seen the housing bubbles going crazy again, right? We've seen costs of so many different things like lumber, all these things starting to increase in major ways. And this is data because this is how this is how Hitler came to power in Germany. You had mass hyperinflation, 
And that's the problem with infl- inflation is that there's a certain point where it runs away from you and you can't control it. Mm-hmm. And if there is a run on, you know, the dollar, if, you know, China says, you know what, we're not going to have, we're not going to trust in the dollar anymore. We don't know what the triggering event could be that could crash the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. We don't know. It's not backed by gold anymore. It's backed by trust in the federal government. Yeah. But if I'm being honest, you'd have to be a moron to trust the federal government, right? Yeah. The federal government is not trustworthy at this point, and it hasn't been for a while. So the question is, when is the dollar going to collapse? And I say that because it's that, inevitable. I mean, that is yeah. one of the things that could absolutely destroy yeah. our nation and our economy. Oh okay? yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then number two is this racial tension, this Marxism. The Marxism has brought us to a place of near civil war. And I you know, I think 2020 woke a lot of people up when they saw the George Floyd riots, right? Because now it's like, oh my gosh, this is happening everywhere. And not only that, they're talking about defunding the police. And a number of these cities actually did that. We're having like crime sprees all across the nation to the point where people are leaving, right? They're leaving cities like San Francisco because there's dudes going into Walgreens and just <laughs> taking stuff over and over, right? It's like... It's such a complete breakdown of lawlessness. And people are like, this is insane. It's insane, but it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's happening. And the big question is, is there going to be a catalytic event? Like, is there going to be a George Floyd incident, something worse than George Floyd, that sets off a serious war? And I think we're one major catalytic event away from a civil war. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem. You know, it doesn't happen, like, slowly, right? If you look at World War One, the conditions were set where the assassination of one dude set triggered events to lead that led to world war mm. i think we're in a very similar type of situation where the it's like we're in the tinderbox right now it just takes the right spark and yeah. i think the antifa people knew that i think that's why when george floyd happened they were trying to set that spark mm. right they were infiltrating infiltrating blm protests trying to make them violent they were planting rocks at federal buildings all this stuff is because they were trying to bring about a communist revolution. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And thank God that didn't work. I think it was, uh, I, I don't think it had a good chance of working, but I was shocked at how effective they were able to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I didn't think we were as close as 2020 showed us that we were. Yeah. Right? But look, this is not getting better anytime soon. Right? We all know that if there's, an, if there's, uh, uh, if the police kill a black man in a way that looks worse than George Floyd, it's going to be worse, whatever yeah. comes, mm-hmm. right? And so anyways, I see these two incidents, these two possibilities of American power being seriously challenged, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or seriously diminished. And we don't know what it would look like. No one knows what a 21st century civil war would look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to fight drones, yeah. right? Drones on both sides. <laughs> Nobody knows, right, what this could potentially I look like. drones were just to deliver packages. What's going yeah. on here, man? Yeah. Yeah. No, drones are the thing that you don't see and they launch lasers that get missiles that at you gracious. and you didn't even know that they were there, right? Like, yeah. How do you fight that? I have no yeah. idea. No. Right? We don't know if drones are going to be used in, in a potential civil war. Nobody knows anything, right? But that's the nature of war. You never, you can't plan effectively for war because... No one knows what the other side is willing to do Mm. or what your side is willing to do until your back is up against a wall or what technologies will be developed to make other technologies obsolete. Mm -hmm. So sorry for, you know, this long spiel here. But what I'm getting at here is, yeah, I think this thing could happen. And I think, you know, we're largely unprepared for it 
as a people group, right? As a, as a church, I think we're largely unprepared for it. I think we're basically sleeping through this whole thing. And, you know, Fred Marker, I heard him speak on this type of stuff. He actually added to his presentation. I heard him speak on a lot of this stuff a number of years ago. He was, he was saying 2022, 2023, you know, and now it seems like he's pushed back his timetable a little bit, right? But he's basically arguing, yeah, this thing is close. Well, I'm glad you, you brought that up because I'm just reminded of Reese Howell. I mean, he he lived during World War II. And how did he prepare? Yes. Through intercessor, right? through, through interceding. Yes. So what we need, and I really appreciate Contango's, um, David and the speakers were talking about the importance of having Christian communities. Yes. Like we really need to have strong communities that are praying together, not just playing church. Yes. Serious about prayer, serious about hearing God and how we can prepare. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's largely absent, especially here in California. I mean, yeah. churches aren't even meeting for the most part. Mm. You know? It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. On the verge of disaster, yes. our churches aren't even meeting. Yeah. So I, I think we need to start, revival starts in the church. And so if we're not serious about kind of the acts to living together and really having a community of, of believers praying for each other, providing for each other's needs and things like that. I don't think we're going to survive the impending doom. (laughs) (laughs) Joking aside, we really do need, I think that's the first thing we Christ followers must do is have communities that really pray, not just go to church to listen to sermons, feel good, Get Stuff fed. like that. Right, get fed. I mean, yeah. we have to be serious about praying. Yeah. 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 I mean, at Contend, I gave a 45-second spiel about what I think God's doing right now. I think he is pruning the church right now, and he's repositioning the church, and he's trying to form communities yeah. that are built around prayer and worship, mm-hmm. that are built around healthy community, that are built around real training, mm-hmm. right? And... The, the part that I didn't mention, but you guys are somewhat familiar with, I think we need to start preparing militarily also, right? Mm-hmm. If we're, if civil war has the potential of being real, then I think we need to start taking actual steps to prepare for that eventuality, mm-hmm. right? And all of us are on the same page. We, none of us want that to happen. We're all hoping that won't happen. But the worst thing is the civil war breaks out and you have no idea how to use a gun at all, right? Like that, what a disaster that would be. And that's where most Christians are right now. And to me, that's because Christians generally do not have the historic paradigm that our forefathers did. And what I'm getting at here, look, our forefathers started the American Revolution because they felt like God was telling them to. That's so foreign from what most believers believe today about what God would say, right? Our forefathers fought in the Civil War because they felt like God was calling them to, right? Again, that is something that is so foreign to today's believers. We're so unprepared on a mental level to even consider war. But war might come upon us. And and so I say all this to say, those are the four things that I see. And look, I'm just going to say this. I think church needs to die. Okay? I think the, the standard structure of church that we have right now needs to die. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't want it to die. Because I actually love our churches, right? I love church. But I'm just saying the format of church is producing people that are not prepared at all for what is coming. And what we really need is we need believers who have the faith to do it to get in communities that are going to do those things. They're going to be built around prayer and worship. They're actually going to train. 
Like, we can't... Dude, you can't get trained for 30 minutes on a Sunday, right, where it, you know, that's not adequate training. And the stuff that they're talking about, it, like, most sermons are like how to love your neighbor more and how to, you know, how to pray a little bit better. You know, it's like... And this... I'm the pastor, so I'm not trying to bash the pastors. I'm just saying... The expectation that we have right now of how we're to train believers is wholly inadequate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what Reese Howells felt in in the run-up to World War II, yeah. right? He's like, look, uh, the way our churches are training people is completely inadequate to meet the oncoming threats, right? I feel like we're in the same place today. We need Reese Howell communities, and you know, I, I don't know if I like that term, right? But we need communities that have a certain DNA, a certain wineskin to carry and train believers to become prepared for the times that are coming. We don't want them to be wholly unprepared. What do you guys think about all that? 100% agree. (laughs) I mean, 1,000% agree. Yeah, I mean, before, like I was telling you, like before I went to contend, um, I felt like very jaded in my walk with God. And um, so when I got to contend, I was, I I popped. Um, my brother here. You can say my name. Yeah, Paul. My name's Jonathan. I'm Jonathan Yang. I just feel, I feel like that is more personable on a podcast, you know, instead of just trying to the underground church. Yeah, yeah, the underground church. No, but it was crazy because I got paid. Uh, I got prayed uh, by from Papa Lou, and one of the things that he uh, he said was, "You need to find a community, mm-hmm. right?" And I was like you know amen you know thank you thank you so much for the prayer and then so i got prayed by david and he the first thing he said was when i saw you i felt like god said you need to find a community wow and then the and then i got prayed by um another person there and the first thing she was like you need to find a company right like a company like as if i was enlisting in the army you know what i mean and so everything you're saying right now is personal for me too because I do believe like like you said God you said Dennis PD you said God is raising up communities right mm-hmm. um, where we will be you know fully God centered and I felt like that was something that um, I was somewhat lacking in my life honestly and I think um, I'm, I'm getting I, I was just encouraged and challenged to really get locked into families like that because. We 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 need that type of um, we need that type of community, uh, yeah. especially in the end times, yeah. um, to really encourage one another, be there for one another, pray with one another, um, and, and and back one another up. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that was something. As you were sharing community, yeah. it it makes total sense because I feel like that's what God was speaking to me this past content. Yeah, it's powerful. Bro. I mean, I could say that's that's what I'm longing for. Yeah. Right? I'm longing for a community that embodies those things where I feel like I'm actually being trained for mm-hmm. what is to come. Right? And I'm not engaging in a type of Christianity that's just to make me happier or something like that. I'm engaging in a Christianity that is actually having impact on the nation in a way that is significant and eternal. Right? Like that's that's my dream, right, in a sense. And I, and I say that because I feel like I hear resonance in that dream everywhere I go. I feel like all the time people are telling me, like, oh, yeah, this church is okay. Like, it's okay. It just doesn't seem like exactly what people are longing for right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah, well and, and I totally understand that because I'm in the place where I've been visiting a lot of churches. And the thing is, 
none of these churches are bad churches per se. Well, there are bad churches, right? But there's a lot of good churches. I'll put it like that, right? There's a lot of good churches, but the way I feel about all, even those good churches is I feel like they're inadequate for what I need right now. That's just how I feel personally as I'm looking at all these churches. And I don't want to be too harsh, right? Because all these are like great Christians and they're doing good ministry and I'm not intending to slander them at all. I'm just saying it doesn't seem like what is in my heart is out there. Or I just see pieces of it. And my paradigm for this is because I feel like God's calling for them to come forward in this generation. And different communities have pieces of it, but none of them are that mature yet, mm-hmm. right? Like when we're looking at IHOP, IHOP always, they talk about themselves as like forerunners, right? The ones who come first. And that's exactly how I think of IHOP. They're pioneering a certain component of the DNA that these communities are called to carry, mm-hmm. right? But they don't have the full picture of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody has the full picture of it right now, right? But I feel like what we're going to be doing this century is pioneering the communities that have this DNA and that we're going to be maturing in this DNA. And I just feel like this is what, this is what the church is longing for right now, right? We're longing for missional communities with real fellowship, with real mission, with real training, with the real presence of God, with Mm. real prayer that's actually prophetic and powerful, with real, you know, worship, with real anointed speaking that's relevant for today. That's not just history lessons and not just, you know, ethics lessons, but is is important for what we need right now. And I can't wait for God to be building these things. I can't. I I, I desperately want to be part of building those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my thought is like I, I feel like a missing component to is equipping to send out. Right? And I think we've gotten lost in our church today, where we're not equipping to send out necessarily. We're um, we're pacifying, we're trying to grow our own communities. And I don't know if this is true per se, but um, I totally appreciate I have Kansas City, but I know that there are some people who um, might get lost or might get hurt. But I, I feel like where the church is going is with an understanding that um, we're not trying to grow our numbers per se. Um, we're we're really trying to equip to send out, right? And I think that paradigm needs to change in our church today. Um, and I think that's good. A lot of people are hurt by that, um, by leaders who do focus with that kind of mentality because they want to stay mm-hmm. and they want to just be in their comfortable communities. But I think leaders who really embrace that call to equip to send out. Um, some people aren't comfortable with that because they want to stay in a comfortable space where they're not challenged to move or to go out. And um, and so it causes friction. And um, But I think that paradigm needs to change and is changing. Um, but we'll get a lot healthier once leaders start to embrace that um, sure. paradigm of equipping to send out. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um if my wife will give me permission, I would love to sell everything we have and join the Safa community there because, um, I mean, joking aside, I mean, it's just, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible what they're doing there. They, they are training to intercede. They're sold out completely. And that is the standard that God is calling for every Christian, I think. Right. And we call that radical. I just call that Christian. So I, I, I pray that all the churches here would start to have that kind of heart and paradigm of 
Jesus is coming, you sell everything that you have to follow him. Yeah, for sure. Whatever that looks like. For sure. Right? Yeah. Either staying in your community and being faithful or selling everything you have and going somewhere. But we need to be sold out completely now. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say, as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, yeah. like, I have great hope that this is something that God is doing. You know, I don't think it, I don't think any of us know how to do this right. Mm. Like, I look at, like, Bethel and their school of ministry. I think it's amazing for what it is. Right? Like, they're actually training believers to prophesy, do power evangelism, pray for healing. Like, I feel like that's a that's a piece of it. Right? Like, I, that's got to be a piece of whatever this is. Right? And I feel like a lot of communities have, like, bits and pieces of the packages that God wants to put together. But I just want to say this. I feel like the, the big part that... My, I feel like what's happening right now is we're so splintered and fractured that everyone's doing their own little piece on their own. Mm-hmm. And the problem there is you go to any ministry and they have strengths and they have tons of weaknesses and that's because they're not united. Mm-hmm. Right? The church united is the only thing where all the strengths are available and all the weaknesses are covered. Right? And I, I'm just being honest, I have no idea how to get there to united church. I don't see any other way though. Right? The only way to build the communities that are as mature and as amazing as I'm envisioning is one in which the church is truly united in a in a much greater way than we are right now. And I'll just be honest, I have I have, you know, experience in this. For decades I've been trying to do, you know, church leadership in unity. I'll just tell you, it is so <laughs> hard right it is unbelievably hard all the things that sabotage that and sure. and destroy that and so i'm i'm not trying to pres- presume to say like i know exactly how to get there i have no idea how to get there right but i have a real hope that this is something that god's going to do and that he is somehow preparing the way for us to reach this and this is all relevant when we're talking about the end times because we're talking about the bride of christ emerging in the earth mm-hmm. right we're talking about a pure spotless bride the church as mature as it was always called to be and merging in the earth. And that's the part of this that excites me the most. Like, Paul, like, you you talk about the return of Christ being the great goal, and and theologically you are 100% correct. That is, that's the great hope of the church. But I'll just be honest, in my heart, in my heart is the dream of the bride of Christ arising in the earth. Mm -hmm. Right? A mature church, you know, and... It, that still seems so impossibly far away, but it's something that seems it's 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 something that my heart's been longing for for so long, you know. And that's my hope, man. I it would like. Can you imagine if in our lifetimes all of that came together? It, it seems like in, insanely Maranatha. You know, it seems like please God come back. It seems like there's no way that that could possibly happen. But at the same time, we have no idea what a great revival could unleash and we have no idea what great calamity could unleash (laughs) right like those things bring massive transformation in a short amount of time so who knows Mm -hmm. who knows but I'm hopeful that God's going to lead us and hey man if Jesus does come in our time and we get to see all of it it's going to be a wild ride (laughs) okay well guys thanks so much for doing this podcast this recap of Contend and this discussion the truth is, I think like there's like actually so many things we can talk about, and I think we'll continue to discuss some of these, you know, issues probably for years because these are these are issues of our era, mm-hmm. right? That we're talking about, 
And um, I'm glad to be able to have a community with you guys to be able to, where we can talk about these things. Because yeah. most Christians just think I'm crazy when they're trying to bring up this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome.